This hour of Canuck Central is presented by Andrew Sherritt Limited. Your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Uh, Harmon Dial uh, of The Athletic is going to join us in a little bit. And, uh, well, the scoreboard watching is on, Sat. As uh, Bruce Boudreaux mentioned in his media avail today, he is actively watching games and watching to see what other teams are doing. At the end of the first period, the Maple Leafs are doing the Canucks a solid so far as they lead the Dallas Stars 2-0. It's a busy night on the out-of-town scoreboard. Penguins are up against the Preds. Jets and Golden Knights going up against each other, still probably wanting the Jets to take two points there. Detroit is visiting the Red Wings before they visit Vancouver on uh, Thursday. And, of course, here... Uh, the Canucks and Devils at Rogers Arena. Kings are playing the Avalanche, but it almost feels like um, the Kings are out of reach with how well that they've played uh, in the playoff chase for the Vancouver Canucks. I did, um, uh, Daryl Sutter had a really uh, interesting <laughs> quote today where he basically said, Sats, <laughs> a very Daryl, very Daryl Sutter like. Uh, Fast Eddie's always on it. Uh, he has the audio. Here is uh, Daryl Sutter talking about why it's so important uh, to get proper seeding in the NHL postseason. Here it is. If you are a wild card team, I sure as hell don't want to play Colorado in the first round because it's going to be a waste of eight days. <laughs> <laughs> so that just tells you what you have to do every day. Anybody that's comfortable or cozy i'm saying it right now it's you won't last long so there is uh daryl sutter i love it ever so blunt maybe playing a little mind games with the colorado avalanche saying like hey you're the juggernaut you, you you're the team with the target on your back i think that's part of it i think it's he's already kind of planting the seed a yep. little bit here and you know it's very daryl sutter like but more than anything it's a message to his team to finish in the top three, and win their division. I think that's what it is more than anything. But the mentality for this team isn't to make the playoffs. It's to win the division, be one of the top teams in the Western Conference. Like, we're not going to the playoffs playing the Colorado Avalanche. We're going to go into the playoffs being their peer as far as top teams in the Western Conference. And it just kind of shows a different mentality between – where you are as a team versus a team that's trying to get into the postseason. Like, Daryl Sutter would never dare say that if he was the coach of the Canucks right now. Yeah. Because he's like, well, we, that might be our best bet to get in, and we're not gonna, I'm not going to sit here and say, let's lose and tank the rest of the season. Yeah. So his mentality, he'd never come out and say that. But when you're the coach of the Flames and you have bigger things at mind and you're challenging your players and you're trying to also let everybody know what your goal is for this season, it's different. I don't think he truly feels that way. So if the Canucks were to make the playoff push, you know, they still have a chance at third spot in the Pacific, so it wouldn't necessarily be just a wild card position. But um, could this team do some damage, or are they just not good enough? Or do you see some elements where the Canucks could at least make it difficult on whomever they go up? They would have to go up against in the first round. Any team that makes the playoffs can win a round or two. Yeah. Right? Like, it, it can. We've seen it happen. 
not any team can make the playoffs and get to the cup final. Not any team can make the playoffs and win the Stanley Cup, right? But any team that makes the playoffs could potentially win a round or two because it's hockey. And yeah. you can your goalie can get hot. It's four straight games or five. You can be really good in a best of seven series randomly, right? Or the puck goes your way or the other team gets cold or Demko stands on his head and it gets in the heads of the opposition like you saw with the Vegas Golden Knights, right? So, yeah, if the Canucks make the playoffs with Thatcher Demko, of course, potentially, they could win a round. Heck, they might even repeat what they did at the bubble and win two rounds. But they're probably not good enough to make an extended run, right? Yeah, but any team gets that gets in could potentially find a way to win a playoff round. Colorado does look like a buzzsaw, right? Yes. Now. Um, so, and and they're they're still not done adding to their team. So yeah, that second wild card spot may end up being uh, eight days or so as Daryl Sutter. You will last long. <laughs> I love it. Real quickly before I bring Harmon, uh, this text, and you know what? Touche, and I stand corrected. Any team can win a round. Tell the Leafs that. <laughs> last one. <laughs> Terrific. So, so good. Uh, Harmon Dial of The Athletic now joining us. What's happening, Harm? Nothing much. How are you guys? Uh, we're doing fantastic. We were just, you know, kind of having fun with, with Daryl Sutter's clip from today. And, you know, whoever goes up against uh, Colorado in the first round, that poor wild card team, it'll be a waste of eight days. You won't um, last long. <laughs> exactly. You won't last long. Um, but if, if the Canucks do pull off this miraculous second half and get in, do they have some elements that they could at least make – Make it interesting once they get to a first-round series, whomever that may be up against. I think so. And the reason I say that is I think fundamentally I've always kind of believed that um, never say never in terms of winning a round or two, right? Because, I mean, I look back at the year Tampa won 60-plus games and Columbus swept them. I mean, nobody saw that coming. And um, Tampa was even more of a juggernaut than Colorado is right now. Um, and so I've always kind of believed that if you're a team that's on the fringes, you can win a round or two. It's just generally pretty rare to um, make it all the way um, and actually obviously win a cup. But when I look at the Canucks, um, for starters, I mean, you have Thatcher Demko. To me, he's an elite goaltender. If you have an elite goaltender, um, that, that alone can kind of win you a series, especially if you have other elements like your power play starts clicking and um, your top players start um, performing and you just have a couple other individuals further down um, further down the depth chart that maybe play above their ability level um, because it is only a seven-game series, right? So players can get hot. You can have unexpected heroes and... Um, Especially when you have the goaltending, it's I, I think you always have a shot as long as you have Thatcher Demko in. But I will say that if you're the Canucks, I think you'd love to find a way if you're trying to go on this miraculous run. And I know beggars can't be choosers. You'd love to just get in to a playoff spot regardless. But if they could find a way to, say, snag the third spot in the Pacific Division, um, I think that would be a lot more ideal and they would have a much more legit shot than having to go up against Colorado. And um, when I look at the Pacific teams right now, I mean, we've seen Vegas is spiraling lost. I think now um, a few in a row, I think at least four, they're missing Mark Stone. They're missing Riley Smith They're They've got uh, Robin Leonard banged up and then LA as well. 
Um, they've been running through injuries. Uh, Drew Doughty missed the last couple. I think he's day-to-day, and, and so he might already be back. But um, other pieces on the back end, like Mikey Anderson and, and Matt Roy, and up front losing out on uh, Victor Arvidsson, and I think Dustin Brown was banged up too. So um, the Canucks have some teams in the Pacific that are a little bit vulnerable right now. And so that's where, when I sort of look at this, it's, it's, still, a really, it's still a long shot for them to get in. But there is a conceivable path um, to not only get in, but maybe even try and sneak into, say, a a third spot in, in the Pacific. Well, and, you know, the funny thing here is you're right. Get in, getting into the playoffs in this division actually is an opportunity. And had the cards aligned a bit differently and the Canucks had more assets, you could actually be in a con- You could actually have a conversation about should they be looking to make an, uh, an addition at the deadline? Maybe not a rental, but should they be looking to make the team better heading into the deadline? And that kind of shows you how fine the margins can be, right? Harm that if you make the right moves and get some flexibility, you may not be that far off from you know, being a team that's more entrenched in a playoff conversation in the future. For sure. And that's where I think when we have a lot of conversations about this team, um, and I think generally right now the consensus, especially when you hear Jim Rutherford speaking about, you know, wanting to get younger. And um, I think a lot of us on the outside sort of look at this team and say, well, over the next two, three years, obviously um, you're looking for a for a quicker turnaround, but you may, maybe you need to do like a mini retool, whatever you want to call it, of essentially trying to take maybe half a step or a full step back in order to take two steps forward. But that's only because the, it's not because the Canucks' roster is, is that bad. It's because they haven't had sort of trade assets and uh, trade assets to deal with. Their prospect pool is kind of thin and they don't have uh, cap flexibility, right? If the situation was different, right? Like, let's say there was this exact same roster, but the Canucks ha- hadn't, let's say, traded away back-to-back first-round picks and um, hadn't already moved next year's second-round pick and they actually had some cap space to work with. And let's say the prospect pool wasn't uh, wasn't em- wasn't looking empty outside of Rathbone and Klimovich, um, then, yeah, absolutely. There would actually be a conversation about let's hit the accelerator and mm-hmm. this is a team that both at the deadline and in the offseason, you can be aggressive. And that's where if you had assets and you had cap flexibility, you you would actually have a path to where you could try and um, poach and take advantage of other teams' cap issues, right? Like St. Louis, for example, last offseason picked up Pavel Buchnevich, so point per game forward, for second-round pick in Sammy Blay because the Rangers couldn't afford him. Um, and then obviously the offseason before that, Colorado picked up Devin Taves, top-pairing stud for just two second-round picks because the Islanders couldn't afford him. And so, really, this is a league where cap space and, and having trade assets and picks that you can deal with uh, deal with are are king, and that's and, and it can really allow you allow you to improve really quickly. Um, and I think that's what management is trying to target at, at this at this juncture over the next over the next um, several months is is how do we open up flexibility so that when these future opportunities arise, we're actually in a position to take advantage of them. Armin Dayal of our uh, of the Athletic is joining us here on Canucks Central. Of course, uh, you know so much discussion around JT Miller, but uh, today the the focus has shifted a little bit to Connor Garland as uh, a player. Maybe uh, the Canucks would be listening on right now as uh, they're not getting the types of offers they would like for Besser or anybody else. Um, what do you make of Connor Garland's fit so far 
with the Canucks, and uh, has he been able to live up to the contract he was given by the previous regime? I think he's been able to live up to it for sure. I, I don't know if um, – and to be very clear, I don't think management looks at that as necessarily a bad or an inefficient contract by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Agreed, yes. But I do think that they – I don't know. The sense that I've kind of gotten is – um, if there was an opportunity that they would be open to the idea of moving him because uh, obviously he's undersized and he's also not a burner. Um, he doesn't have elite speed in the straight line. So um, that's kind of the sense that I've gotten is that they're not as high on Garland as, as the last regime was. Again, that's not to say that they don't like his contract or that they're looking to dump him for anything that they can get. They're going to be patient with him. And they obviously, they obviously like the player. He's productive, but um, just maybe not as much as, as the last regime. And when I look at it, though, from my vantage point, I think Connor Garland's actually been um, full value. He, he doesn't have the point totals that jump off the page, but when you look at um, what he's been able to do at 5-on-5, five five, he's been arguably one of the team's best best um, pieces up front. Um, he, I mean, I looked at the numbers, I think, a couple, a couple days ago, um, he led uh, he led the Canucks with 12 five and five goals. Garland led the Canucks with 20, 28 five and five points, tied with the JT Miller in both categories. And Garland, of course, I think he's played three fewer games than Miller, and, and he plays less minutes. So he's been their most efficient five and five um, offensive producer. And when he's been on the ice at five and five, the Canucks have outscored opponents by 13 goals. And I think that's a product of how well he controls play down low. Um, to where he's just quietly able to tilt the ice and, and um, drive a lot of shots, drive a lot of chances. So um, he's been he's been so good for them at five on five. He just doesn't have the big point totals because he plays on the second unit uh, power play, which um, has been has been a struggle for most of the season. And really, it's the first unit where that's where you rack up the point totals and um, and have the really impressive stats there. So for me. Um, I still really like Connor Garland. I think that um, I think he's on a really good contract personally, um, but uh, we'll see if the Canucks um, share that share that sort of belief and, and sentiment. Well, and you know, ultimately, I think it's really tied to what can what can happen with a guy like Brock Besser, right? And one situation I've been kind of thinking about where I see some parallels, and it was a bit different because Pavel Buchnevich was going to be a UFA after this upcoming season, whereas. Um, you know, Brock Besser has two years of control, or it's kind of similar there for Pavel Buchnevich, but he was a guy that was due a big money contract, right? And he was coming off a strong season, but he ended up being traded for Sammy Blay in a second round pick. Not this huge kind of offer. And if you're looking at, say, the Canucks, and they're getting offers, say, in theory, similar to what, you, you know, Pavel Buchnevich got traded for, is there more value in taking something like that back in return and having the $6 million in cap space potentially? Or signing him to a contract worth about six million per season, because personally, I think the value might be in keeping him at that number as opposed to, you know, just getting that money off the books. Yeah, I think with, it's a really interesting point that you brought up, and and I do think the Canucks have are cognizant of the fact that Besser's qualifying offer um, sort of weighs his trade value down. It is a really complicated thing because, um, I mean, if it wasn't for the for the really elevated QO, I think we wouldn't really be having as intensive a conversation about Besser's long-term future. But um, as soon as you're talking about dealing him to another team, well, that team has to, again, navigate through that uh, complex contract situation as well. And 
so I think with Besser, like you, like you kind of said, if, if the number for an extension can be worked um, somewhere in, in the six, six and a half range, um, then absolutely. I think you're better off keeping Brock. But again, if that number creeps closer to seven or seven plus, that's where I think it becomes a much harder conversation. And you have to um, weigh the value of not only what you would get, get back in a trade, but uh, what you could potentially do with, uh, with the cap space. And I think that's where, I think if you're the Canucks, you have to really be thinking ahead and looking at the offseason, trying to map out every team's kind of cap situation and trying to see how many Buchnevich or Devin Taves type opportunities are there going to be on the market. Um, because if there are, if you do envision a lot of them being out there, well, then cap space is worth, um, is, is worth a lot more to you compared to, say, a scenario where you look at other teams around the league and go, there might not be as many opportunities um, to easily monetize that cap space. And, I mean, one that just jumps off the head, uh, top of the head is, for instance, it's, it's easy to kind of map out, um, I think, in advance, right? You could look at a team like, let's say, Vegas. Um, as one hypothetical, they've got uh, Nicholas Waugh, six foot four um, center who has some skill to him. He's, I think, scored at around a 40-point pace in middle six role. But he's the sort of piece where I think he makes a ton of sense as this physical, skilled um, third-line center type. And he's making 750K um, this season, but Vegas isn't going to be able to afford him because he's due for uh, a raise and has arbitration rights. So you have to see how many of those types of opportunities are going to be out there because I think that is also going to play into how you proceed um, with Besser. And I think that's why it's such a complex situation. And, it, and there are so many different variables um, out there um, that I really don't envy this uh, decision for the Canucks. So one player we talk about often um, is Tanner Pearson. Uh, maybe because I just feel he's he's underappreciated uh, at times on this roster. Uh, do you feel Tanner Pearson is uh, underappreciated as a player here in Vancouver? I don't know if underappreciated is the right word. He's been a good player, and I think he's played better than um, I expected after, I think, what was a down season from last year. Um, it's just the product of, of having a, a contract, and, and he's been fine for his contract this season, but... Um, I think a lot, a lot of people still attach that to the contract. Uh, but I think when you look at what Pearson's been able to manage recently, he's obviously stepped up and credit to him for finding chemistry um, away from Bo. We all used to joke um, for a really long time about how him and Horvat were inseparable, but he's fit like a glove next to JT Miller. And I think those two just play a really simple style. And, and Pearson in that role just seems to understand the assignment really well the under, the assignment is really simple it's get in down low sort of be effective on the four check when you're when your board battles be reliable defensively and just get the puck to jt miller that's all just get the puck back get it to jt miller mm-hmm. and miller is dynamic enough as a two-way threat as a playmaker to where he's going to get it back to you and that's i think a big reason why um, those two have kind of been able to play off of each other really well is because Miller um, also sort of thrives in that controlling play down low and off the cycle sort of style. Um, and we know with Pearson that he doesn't really have the speed to play off the rush. He wants to be able to more play off the cycle. And that's where Miller is really versatile in, in how many ways he can attack. Uh, and so those two have done 
an excellent job. And, and I think that tandem has been the Canucks' most reliable, I think, in terms of driving 5-5 five and five offense um, over the last 5, 10, 15 games, however, however long they've kind of played together. Um, they just seem to show up on a night-to-night basis, and, and there's consistency there. And with Pearson, too, I think one thing you can appreciate about him is I think when you look at the Canucks as a whole, um, you look at the group up front, there aren't a lot of forwards that Bruce Boudreaux can trust from a two-way perspective. Obviously, with right. someone like um, a Vasily Podkoles, and he'll get there. But there are, like, when you look at the top nine and you have pieces like Chase on and, and Hoaglander still learning the defensive game and Pod Colson's still really young and Besser's had hiccups here, here and there and, and Garland's a little bit undersized. Um, I think you, as a coach, really appreciate having someone like Pearson where you know he can do little things like when a defenseman pinches up the boards, he's going to be able to know to cover for, for he's going to know how to cover as the F3 um, and ensure that you don't have a defensive breakdown. And um, there is that consistency and that reliability. Um, he's just like a Toyota Corolla. He just, he gets you from point A to point B <laughs> yeah. all the time. Um, and I think there's something you appreciate with that for sure. Well, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what this team does with him this offseason because there's no trade clause it does become a limited no trade clause and you have more possibilities. And if he finishes the season strong, I do believe the market for him will be there to some extent. And this is a guy that was sought after, albeit as a UFA last year, of course. And the question, though, becomes... Does the team consider him as a guy that can work here for the next year or two as well? Because he fits the style that Boudreaux wants to play, and he's always been at his most effective when he plays this type of style down low and even how they played with the um, L.A. Kings in that 70s line. It was kind of similar. He was kind of the third guy that did all the dirty work, but they had a lot of success. And he can fit in there as a third guy in a top six role. The question is, is that worth it as far as money-wise goes, or is it more worth having the flexibility? Yeah, and I think it depends on how competitive you want to be within the next couple of seasons because the one thing about Pearson-type middle six forwards is you can find them in free agency for a lot cheaper a lot of the times. If you just take a volume approach, um, and this is where, again, we talk a lot about the, the, the sort of just over $1 million figure where if you can sign as many of those contracts essentially and you can bury them hypothetically and it won't have any effect on your cap. And you look at, say, um, players who've produced similar middle six value for a fraction of the cost. I mean, um, you've got the likes of Michael Bunting and Andre Kasha and, and Danton Heinen. And, um, I mean, those are just three that, uh, that, that come, come to me off the top of my head. But you, you can find... Uh, players who provide comparable value to Pearson, who um, can play in a second or third line, third line type role, score at a 30 to 40 ish point clip. Um, And you can, I mean, last season you you could find a bunch of them for around $1 million. So if you see the possibility of, okay, we can deal, we can deal Pearson, um, pick up maybe a minor modest sort of asset, but more importantly, if you think you can find uh, a replacement who can provide, say, 80 or 90% of Pearson's value, um, and then you net $2.25 million or, or however much that is in excess cap space, then you can allocate that to other parts of your roster um, and open up flexibility. That's where I think, um, I think things could be in, uh, interesting. So for me, I, I'm always a proponent on flexibility is king, and, and I think um, if you're looking to build this Canucks team out, I wouldn't be too worried about next season particularly. 
And for that reason, I definitely be open personally to the idea of, of shopping Pearson around and seeing it, seeing if you can get an asset back and open up more cap room. Um, but the way he's playing, it is at least good that you don't feel the burden of his contract. And, and this isn't one that you're like desperately looking to get rid of where um, you can feel comfortable with the way he's been playing, hanging on to him beyond this season, not worrying too much about the contract either. Harm, we appreciate the time as always. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Uh, there is Harmon Dial of The Athletic joining us here on Canucks Central and um, likened Tanner Pearson to a Toyota Corolla. Yeah. Hey, it's reliable. <laughs> Gets you from point A to point B. Doesn't, you know, well, I guess it may be a bit pricier than your normal yep. Corolla, but at the same time, it's not a bad analogy. And, and honestly, you know, we get so caught up talking about getting guys with higher ceilings. You still need guys that fill certain roles, and yeah. you still have to have other players, and not every guy has to be a superstar for you. And with the way Tanner Pearson is playing this season, at the very least, he's he's earning his money, like Harm mentioned. First car I drove, 94 Toyota Corolla. <laughs> uh, it was my mom's car, but my older sister first started driving it. Right. Then it went down to my brother, and eventually when I got my license, I was the last one. And Finally, you after, got the Corolla. Uh, <laughs> after all, after all those years and all the damage that had been done uh, with my siblings, uh, I was the one that killed the Toyota Corolla. Really? Uh, How long did it last? The Cariola, as we used to call <laughs> it. <laughs> How long did it last for you? It lasted uh, lasted a few years. Okay, yeah. so you got something out of yeah, it. Yeah, we we got something out of it. We definitely got a lot of mileage <laughs> out of that car. Uh, it is uh, Canuck Central, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. Uh, coming up, we're going to dive in more to the matchup as uh, the Canucks get ready for the New Jersey Devils. That's next on Canucks Central.